We're going to invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. As we do so, those uh, kindergarten under may go to the children's church. Mr. Chris, we'll welcome you back, parents, if you choose to come back. We're continuing our series, The Truth About, and so we're going to look at the truth about the resurrection, obviously on Resurrection Sunday and on Easter, and so in John chapter 20, we've been looking at John 21 the last two weeks as we've looked at the church, John chapter 20 is this powerful story of the resurrection, especially as accounted by Thomas, we'll see this in verse 24 through 29. I've asked for you to recount that dark moment in your life, uh, how it's shaped by the resurrection. I could speak a little bit about some of the dark moments that have been put on the uh, media this past week. Of course, we've got the, uh, the bombing in Belgium certainly impacted many of us as we have uh, had uh, some of our own church members traveling, uh, coming from East Asia, wondering, okay, how does this impact travel? Uh, will other airports be targeted? Uh, my father being in South America on a mission trip this past week, it starts crossing your mind. How, how is this going to be impacting those that we love? Reminding us of uh, other countries where we have folks like Herb and Sarah Watts, many of you remember Herb and Sarah, they serve in a country that has been bombed three times in the last few months, not getting near as much press because it's not in the West. I have another one of my friends that in, live in the very town where it was bombed uh, in that country, and so these these things crossed your mind as you think about that uh, this past weekend. We've got the a situation of uh, a, a teacher in Wake Forest killed tragically on Capitol Boulevard. It just hits me because I go up and down that road. And there's nothing that she did. Just a trucker that somehow lost control. Rear-ending her, smashing her between another truck. And we saw the devastation. This was a, a, a lady that was a part of the community of faith in Wake Forest, her husband being part of the Southeastern College there. So you think, man, that could have been any one of us. And so that's been on my heart and mind, and there's others like you who have been dealing with friends who have cancer. I have an aunt. Uh, she has no children except for me and my sister, and, and she's dealing with, with breast cancer this year. And, and there's others of us in our own church body that's dealing with cancer. These are some of the things that been cropped up when I asked myself, what's been the challenges of this week? And what I want to share with you is that when we talk about Jesus, it is not enough to have a moral instructor. That doesn't really me, doesn't do me much good when I think about the bombings and I think about uh, my, my aunt dealing with cancer, when I think about this young teacher, 42, who has been uh, wiped out. I need something more than a moral instructor. And I, I was watching the, the Passion um, uh, Live that came out last Sunday. And, and some really good things that was brought out. And I was kind of amazed. Like, they're sharing the gospel on TV. Wow. 
But, you know, preluding up that, you have these testimonies that people talk about love, that Jesus was giving us love, and that this is the, the, the greatest truth and the ideal that, that helps us in our life. And, yeah, but I need more than this concept of love. Because that isn't working with the bombings. You see, the thing about the Christian faith is it isn't giving us a moral instructor. We, we in wealthy parts of the world like to just kind of dumb it down to just moral instruction. But what happened with the gospel was spread by and large by the lower class, the, the ones that were oppressed. You see, it's the ones who are oppressed who see the tragedy of life. Like we have seen these things because of media and other things that puts it in front of us. The, that's where the, the, those who have no money, they deal with this constantly. And what they need is not a moral instructor, but they need life. They need a rescue plan. They need a savior. They need God coming and swapping out death for life. They need a resurrection. And so what I want to share with you today is not moral instruction. That is not the gospel. It's not to say this is what is right and this is what is wrong. That we want to teach our kids these things. That's not the gospel. And so let's go to John chapter 20 and see through Thomas's perspective. He's commonly known as the doubting Thomas because he expresses some doubts. And he was one of the twelve. He walked with Jesus. And so if one of the twelve walked with Jesus, hears about the resurrection and doubts, how much more will we also doubt? I want you to understand that doubting is normal. Everyone doubts. It's what you do with those doubts that makes the difference. And so what does Thomas do? And more importantly, what does Jesus do with the doubts of Thomas? So as we read this, I'm going to ask we stand in honor of what we're reading, this being God's word, if you'll read silently as I read aloud to you. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to them, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. You may be seated. When we're moving from doubts into faith, it's not so much the creation of faith, as much as it is transferring your faith. You see, Everybody trusts in something, things that you don't see. And we look at Thomas, and he's kind of a realist. You know, he's, he's the guy that says, look, unless I see it, it's not happening. Why? Because he trusts his senses. And so 
Jesus is going to come and says, I want you to transfer what you trust in. Don't trust your senses so much. Trust in me, Jesus. And so every once in a while I come across someone that says, well, you know, unless I can see it, unless it's proven to me, I'm not going to believe it. And I would just show to them that's impossible to live by. There are things you trust in all the time you don't understand, but you do it. I just bring to them the bank. You go to the teller machine, you put your money in some tube, it gets sucked up and some voice is talking to you and they say that their money is on your, their account. Really? This is just trust. Unless you know the ins and outs, you know the people who's working, you know how the mechanic works of that, that sucking up tube thing. You know, see I don't. I just trust it. You don't see germs, Right? But you believe they exist. Some of you actually seen germs on a microscope, but how many of you haven't seen germs on a microscope? But we're not going to go lick the handrails out there, are we? Why? Because we trust some things. There's some things we, we believe, we, we know, okay, I, I can't see it, but I'm going to go with it. And so here's Thomas saying, unless I see it, I'm not believing. And so Jesus is going to work on transferring his trust. And so what I want to share with you, how can we trust? What does Jesus take to Thomas to help him come and say, you are my Lord, my God. You're not just some moral rabbi. You're not just an instructor. You're not just a prophet. You're not just a great friend. You're not just an example. You're God. So Thomas comes out and makes this huge declaration, and I want you to understand something. As, as you read this, the first lesson I want you to see is, is Thomas, first of all, he missed a meeting, all right? He missed a meeting. He didn't gather with the church or the people of God at that. For whatever reasons, maybe he went to the beach, all right? I don't know. Some of us are there. Uh, I, we don't know. For whatever reason, Thomas wasn't with the group, and Jesus shows up. You see this accounting right prior to this, um, verse 19 all the way through 23, this accounting. And so this is amazing to the disciples. They were all scared and fearful. And, and Jesus comes to them and says, peace to you, and, and commissions them. says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you, and breathes on them and says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And so there's this kind of a, a, a moment where they become apostles. They're not just disciples, but from that point on, Jesus is sending them out. And so it's kind of a major moment. And so you can just imagine when Thomas is with the guys, and Peter's like, Thomas, you should have seen it. And you know, I don't know if Thomas, we don't know the reasons why he doubts. Maybe he just doesn't like the fact that he missed out. Maybe he's one of those guys you always have to one-up somebody, you know. He's <laughs> like, oh, I'm not going to believe it. I don't care what you say, I'm just not going to believe it. We don't know the reasons why, but we just know that he doubts. And so let's see how Jesus deals with this. First of all, I want you to just get this lesson. Listen to the apostles. One way we can overcome doubt is by listening, just listening to the apostles. That's the first lesson. Yeah, and notice, all the while, Thomas is just is hearing the disciples, and for whatever reasons, he's refusing, he's rejecting uh, the apostles. Listen, we don't get to hang out with Peter, we don't get to hang out with John, but they wrote some things down for us. And so the first thing I would tell you is if you've got doubts in your life, you're going to have to learn to listen to the apostles. Uh, why do I say that? Well, notice what it, the verse we didn't read in John chapter 20. Notice, notice it says, uh, verse 30, 
Now Jesus did many signs, many other signs of the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, listen, why is John written? But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Listen, if you have doubts in your life, have I, let me just simply ask you this question. Have you read the Gospels? Have you just read the book of John? It is amazing to me how many people will have doubts and I ask them, well, okay, you have doubts. Have you ever just read John? No, I'm not going to read John. I'm going to read the Bible. Well, you're not honest in seeking the truth. You're choosing to listen to other voices. So let me just bring this thought to you. Maybe you should doubt your doubts. Maybe you should doubt your doubts. You get a choice of what you want to listen to. And so Jesus is bringing to the the equation here, and John's bringing it to our equation. Hey, just listen to the apostles. For whatever reasons, Thomas was choosing not to listen to these guys. Let me ask you, why are you not listening? And it's going to be measured by why are you not reading the Gospels? It's constantly amazing how you make choices in your life, but these choices soon make you. You ever realize that? Choices reveal who you are, but after a while, they start making you. If you start choosing to fill your mind with certain literature, then you start becoming absorbed by these things. And so what you choose to listen to makes you. And so I just want to present to you, first listen to the apostles. Read the book of John. When you look at John saying, there's a bunch of stuff I could have chosen from. But I've chosen a few things. I've chosen a few miracles for this one point to teach you that Jesus is God. So if you have questions about who the character of Jesus is, I would say to you, read John. Read it sincerely and ask God to show you who Jesus is. Well, I I don't even believe that God exists. How am I going to do it? Just pretend. Just imagine. If God, you exist, will you reveal it to me? So as we keep on reading, what else happens here notice this dialogue thomas is, has told the disciples uh he says look unless i see his hands the marks of the nails the place fingers and the marks of the nails place my hands in the side i will never believe and so eight days later interesting god just let thomas sit on those doubts for eight days sometimes doubts are going to linger in your life but there's going to be seasons when God's going to speak to you. And so sometimes, you just, I take this word and understand, sometimes there will be seasons of doubt. And, and this is an eight-day season that Thomas is in. Uh, but when Jesus does come up, notice what happens. Tom, he, he says, peace be to you. And then immediately he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Put them on your, place them on my side. Let me ask you the question, how did Jesus know? Now, did Peter have a one-on-one say, hey, Jesus, let me tell you what Thomas was saying. <laughs> That's not what's happening here. Jesus is, has been away from the disciples. Eight days later, he reappears, and he knows what Thomas has been saying. Catch that for a second. Hold on to that. What does that mean about you? If Jesus knew what Thomas was saying to his buddies about Jesus, does 
Jesus know what you've been saying? Does he know what you've been thinking? The answer is absolutely yes. Jesus knows about every one of your doubts. He knows about every moment of your rebellion. But yet Jesus comes to him. So the second thing that Jesus is bringing, the second lesson he's bringing to help Thomas believe, he's asking Thomas, consider my awareness of you. Consider God's awareness of you. And what's significant about that is not only is God aware of your thoughts, of your rebellious or your doubts of like, God, I just, I don't know how this fits together. I don't know how I can serve you until I get these things figured out. But what I love about this story is that Jesus doesn't let Thomas sit in that. He comes to him in the midst of his doubt. What does it tell you? God's mercy, his forbearance with you. Sometimes we think, you know, I've been so rebellious. God doesn't want anything to do with me. He's going to, if he ever sees me, he's going to scold me. He's going to spank me. Instead, Jesus comes to Thomas and meets him in his doubt. I, I think about John 4. I, I want you to notice something about John 4. One of the miracles that Jesus brought out, or one of the encounters that uh, John brought out in John chapter 4 is Jesus dealing with the Samaritan woman. And what's interesting to me is what the woman stands out in her mind to think about. Uh, as you read verse 29, this is the counter where, where he is at, a, at this well in Samaria, and, and this woman comes up, and, and no one else is there because she's kind of ashamed of herself. She doesn't want to be with the other women. This is like coming to Target, uh, and you know, all the women, they, like, they like see each other at Target. This is, the well was Target for them, okay? And so she's coming at a time where she thinks no one's going to be there. I'm going to go there because I don't want anyone talking about me, talking to me. Um, I'm just kind of a, a woman that's not well regarded. And here Jesus is meeting this woman, and he starts talking to her, and she's amazed by that because he's a Jew and a man, and yet he talks to her, asks her to get some water for him, and basically brings out the fact that I am living water, I can give to you something where you will never thirst again, and uh, then she says that this is amazing, and he says, uh, he says, I want you to go tell your husband, and, and she says, well, you know, I'm not married, and Jesus says, well, in fact, I know that uh, uh, you've been actually married five times, and the one that you're with now is not your husband, and the woman just, I'm sure, had her mouth dropped at that moment, and says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, let me change the subject, and she kind of took it off on different stages, on different issues of the day. But notice something here. In John chapter 4, verse 29, she goes and tells all the other people. And notice what he says about her. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? In other words... This man knew all the stuff you guys know, the society knows, that you hold me in shame over, and I hold myself in shame over. This man knew all this stuff, yet he's the Messiah, and he talked to me. He invited me to be a part of his life. You get this? 
that touched her so much. Do you understand that everything you have done, that if, if we could have a video screen put up and we had displayed all your thoughts for just oh, maybe the last 72 hours, every thought listed out on PowerPoint with pictures. It's like, I'm not showing up. I'm not going to be there for that. Jesus knows all that. Not just this last 72 hours. Your whole life. Consider God's awareness. of One of the things I found when I'm sharing the gospel with someone is I, I let them know, do you know that God has been pulling in your life all along the way? Do you understand that the last time of your life is not just a series of circumstances of accidents happening? The fact that you're sitting here is God moving in your life, knowing what you're thinking, knowing your ins and outs, and is drawing you to himself. When people can understand that God is working through life to draw you to himself, despite who you are, he's drawing you to himself. That is the Holy Spirit working your life. Here Thomas is. And he's sitting there thinking, oh my. Jesus knew every doubting statement I said to my twin or to Peter or to John. And here he is confronting me with my life what else does jesus do he says to thomas look look at my hands see my hands put your finger here verse 27 what i want you to understand to help you with your doubts and to believe and trust not just to listen to the apostles, not just considering God's awareness of you, how he knows you in and out, and yet calling you to himself. But third, I want you to see a wounded God. What moved Thomas was a wounded God. You see, this is where a prophet doesn't quite do it for us. A moral authority doesn't quite do it for us. Because what have we done with every moral authority in our life? So yeah, you know this past week, Thursday, was the great media announcement of the speed limit. Uh, for those of you who didn't know or hadn't heard, they were going to uh, put an emphasis on uh, obeying the speed limit and saying, you know, the media presented that, you know, one mile over, it's a penalty. So all of us thought, oh my goodness. All right, Jeff, don't tell anybody. How many of you still went over the speed limit? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Why do we do that? Well, I was late. How many of you were not late and still did it? <laughs> yeah, there, okay. Okay, from here on out, it's rhetorical. All right. <laughs> Why do we do that? Because that's how our heart reacts to moral authority. It doesn't do just to have a moral authority to say, this is life, believe me. This is, this is God, believe me. That's why the gospel isn't just principles of love and this is how you ought to behave and how not to behave. That is not the gospel. That is not the Christian faith. It is to see a wounded God. We needed a God 
to take care of our sins. But there's something about a wounded guy. One of the things that strikes me is that this is Jesus' resurrected body. You know what we talk about in the future? We're talking about heaven. We, we're talking about there's no more death, no more sickness, no more disease. Every tear will be wiped away. And I think uh, a glorified body is a good thing. One that's not impacted by disease and decay of sin. But yet, here's Jesus' resurrected body. And it's scarred. Could very well be that the only scarred body in heaven is Jesus's. Because it is an eternal reminder of the wounds that he's done for us. Why does that mean a wounded guy? We, we, it's amazing how many times we want wounded heroes in our life. We want folks that, we got books written about this, we got movies written about this, we have songs written about this. Someone who sweeps himself off our feet, who saves the world, but does so at great price. That's God. That's Jesus. He is our wounded guy. You see, I remember uh, you know, growing up, my parents, part of their job was to make me moral, <laughs> help me to be moral, uh, and they saw the challenge in it uh, because, you know, spankings didn't quite work. They kept on having to do it over and over again. And then, you know, my dad's a, a pastor. So, preaching didn't work. It's nothing like getting a one-on-one sermon from your dad. And says, so sit down, we're at the table, let's open up the Bible together. Let me tell you where you're wrong. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it. I didn't want to do it again. But it didn't stop me either. You know what did stop me on my feet? My mom just crying. Seeing what I'd done. Had no words. No spankings. No timeouts. No sermons. She just cried. (laughs) Oh, I didn't ever want to experience that. When you see the wounds of God, it is God weeping over our sin. And what's so great about God's wounds is that in his wounds, It's not just pity. In his wounds is healing. By his stripes, we are healed. And so I want you to see a wounded God. Because I want you to understand that in all those dark points that you might have imagined in your life, those depressing times, or those sins that someone else did and that you feel so resentful over, or perhaps maybe your own sins that you feel shame over, or some tragedy, disease, a sickness, some loved one dying, I want you to understand that in the backdrop of that is a wounded God. He doesn't just look at you and, and have no empathy. He, he's not someone that's far off somewhere looking down. He is someone that lived our life and endured the disease and sickness and death that we deal with. And his wounds show it. Fact of the matter, as I look at things of this past week how do you console a man who lost his 42 year old wife to say it's not the end of her life because of Jesus 
There's things that God's going to do in this and through this. And her life is not over. It's still in the presence of God. And as I think about that dump truck, it was Jesus who endured two dump trucks of my sin and God's holiness. And it smashed him. And he became that for us. When I think about those who are dealing with bombings. And those who are misguided in their devotion to God. And they're filled with hate. To say it is Jesus who endured the terrorist attacks. And he rose again on the third day to show the attacks of hate cannot destroy his life and his life is given to us. I was dealing with a, a friend of mine from high school and she was reached out to me because she had had a husband that physically abused her. And the church that she was in didn't listen and they couldn't understand and they couldn't believe it because this guy was a good guy in church and no one could conceive this guy doing bad things and, and the lawyers that were coming into her life couldn't understand and were blaming her. And then she had a brother who betrayed her with her, uh, her, her support. And she was just reaching out to me and just saying, pray for me. And I was able to say to you, do you understand that you are in a unique position in life at this Easter season, that Jesus is the only one who knows what it's like to feel the abuse of others, to be beaten by others. Jesus is the one who uniquely knows what it's like to be betrayed by religious leaders, uh, to be accused by religious leaders. He is the one who knows uniquely what it's like to be betrayed by close friends and family. You see, what we present in the Christian faith is not just some paradigm of love one another. It is the example of Jesus, God in flesh, who died on the cross and rose again. It's what swept the Roman world and still sweeps today. But one last lesson that we see here from Thomas, who transferred his trust and his sight to transferring his trust into Jesus Christ. What did it? One, he started listening to the apostles. And then he started considering God's awareness of him. And then he started looking at a wounded God. And the last thing that you see here, notice how Thomas interacts with Jesus. Jesus says, put your fingers here, see my hands, put out your hands, place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And what did Thomas do? Does Thomas, does the scriptures say that Thomas touched him? It doesn't say that Thomas touched him. What does it say? My Lord and my God. You know what Thomas did? He dropped the qualifications. What do I mean by qualifications? We have those things that we say to ourselves. If God does this, then I will follow him. If, if God can make me happy, then I will follow him. If God can protect my family, then I will follow him and worship him. If God will give me Whatever I need for money, then I will follow him. And we've got all these qualifications that I will follow God as long as it doesn't allow me or force me to do this, this, and this. But when Thomas sees Jesus, he drops all the qualifications. He once told himself and told Jesus unknowingly, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe unless I see and touch. When he saw Jesus, he realized, okay, that was a bunch of garbage. You're God. You're Lord. Let me just say to you, that's the only way you can come to Jesus. 
he doesn't take a portion of you. He doesn't say, well, okay, well, I'll just take your Sundays. I'll just, you know, I'll just take the, your, your work life. Or I'll just take your family life. No, the, 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 what God is asking for is simply this. I got to be your God. God, I got to be your Lord. Because what do you do with a resurrected man? What do you do with someone who comes up from the dead? You don't just give him a portion of your life. That type of activity, that type of work of announcement, this is God says, either all, give me all. No qualifications. Surrender. Some of you may be saying, well, I'll follow God as long as he doesn't make me do crazy views, stands. I'll follow God unless he turns me to be like the pastor. I don't want that. You know, he's, he's a preacher. I don't, I don't want to do that. We're afraid where God might take us if you surrender. Let me ask you, who, who is God? Is he aware of you totally? Doesn't his wounds show that he loves you? A God who's capable, who loves you? Why fear? Why fear where he'll take you? You see, we've got to transfer our trust away from our friends and what they think of us, away from the scholarly academic world, away from the professional world, away from our image. These are all going to drop by the wayside anyway. Transfer your trust to Jesus Christ. He's a wounded God. He's done all this needed. Will you respond like Thomas? My Lord and my God. That's what we're gathered here for. To say to him, my Lord and my God. I'm going to invite us as we pray together. We're going to sing together. And what I'm inviting you to do is what Thomas himself did, what Jesus sought Thomas to do, what he is seeking us to do. Did you catch that last bit? Thomas, you've did this because you've seen. Blessed are those who will believe without seeing. Who's he talking to? He's talking to us. He's inviting you this morning to say, my Lord and my God, every area of your life. Let's pray.